Hey, the reason we were showing that is we want you to know next week when you come to church, um, that's what we're going to be talking about. This week we're ending um, our uh, series in the Sermon on the Mount. My name is Ben Kimford, by the way. I'm the um, pastor here at Downtown Community Church. Uh, but we want you to know next week when, when you show up to church, um, we're going to be talking about one of the things that is just so prevalent in our culture. Um, as, as you know, we just... In America right now, there's, there's tons of divides. There's, you know, religious divides, political divides, you know. But one of the things that we think is just one of the greatest divides that we want to talk about um, is, is divisions as it relates to different groups of people um, or the perceptions of different groups of people and all that kind of stuff. And so uh, we just want you to know next week when you come, it's going to be a little bit of a different service. We're going to have a couple different things. It's not just going to be my perspective. Um, but we are going to talk about, and what we think is just absolutely critical, is that from time to time as we go through the scriptures, um, we talk about a bunch of different issues. But from time to time, there are issues that we face as Christians, that you face as Christians, that, you know, as, as Christians, and I face as a Christian. Um, and we want to talk about how the Bible relates to, and specifically, um, if Jesus were around and he were to look across the landscape of our culture and our communities, um, America as, as a whole, uh, but Tallahassee specifically, um, and he were to look across the landscape as it relates to race and ethnicity, um, what would Jesus say? What would Jesus do? What would Jesus look at? What would his perspective be? Because oftentimes when you look at it, you know, we kind of have our thoughts and our, our views. We're going to try to drop all of our filters at the door and just say, okay, if Jesus were here, what would he say as it relates to race and ethnicity in the gospel? So we're going to talk about that next week. Um, if you are at all interested in that, and frankly, if you're not interested in that, this would be a great week for you to come. Um, if, if you have a friend, perhaps, that uh, it's kind of iffy about church and they're, you know, they're criticism of churches that the churches never they never ask difficult questions they never deal with reality they never have you know this kind of real weighty conversations and we would say man absolutely next week next week next week is going to be a wonderful week for you uh, to both be here um, as well as to bring somebody who maybe just has a ton of questions as it relates uh, to Jesus and the Bible and how it relates then to culture so um, we want to invite you to that and the last thing kind of a, a piece of uh, housekeeping uh, information we don't do, I don't say this stuff often, um, but from time to time I speak out at different places and whatnot. And I just say this completely because of the fact that over the last six to eight months, um, we have had, and this was never like an intention of ours, this was never a strategic decision, but we've had a ton of people from the Greek communities come uh, to Downtown Community Church, or DCC as, as most of us call it now. Um, Bunch of people in fraternities and sororities and stuff like that. And at Florida State, they have this Greek ministry called doulos or doulos, depending on your Greek pronunciation, which I know most of you are like, bro, let me tell you how it's pronounced because I studied Greek. Now, if you do that, you're saved. Don't worry about going. But for the rest of us, um, that this uh, upcoming Tuesday night at about 7 p.m., I think it's 7 p.m. I could be making that up. In fact, I probably am making that up. But that's just a good ministry start time. Um, they're going to have this thing, and I'm going to be speaking at it. And so I don't say that you know, for you to go because you, know, you guys hear me all the time, and there's no need for you to go another night of the week and hear me speak. But more so, you might have some friends. You might be in one of the Greek communities. You might have some friends um, that perhaps you know, going into a church environment is a little bit of an intimidating environment. And so if that's you and you've got a friend you know, that you'd love to invite to something like that, that they wouldn't come to a church, but they'd go to somebody else's you know, house, and, and they'd go and hear about Jesus, and I promise you it's going to be at least decent. You know, I, I, just, I, I never promise I'm going to hit it out of the park, but I just try not to screw it up every week. That's kind of the gold standard here at DCC. Um, so, welcome to church. We're glad you're here. Anyways, hey, let's pray, and we're going to get started into our, uh, our last installment of this, the Sermon on the Mount. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this afternoon, or this kind of afternoonish morning. God, I pray that as we're all gathered, as we're all here, as we're all here to hear from you, Father, that you would speak to each one of us. For those of us who have walked into a church a hundred times before, a thousand times before, God, that you would make today fresh and relevant and new to us. For those of us who are walking in unfamiliar with church, unfamiliar with Christianity, maybe walked away from this season and just walked back in the doors for the first time, perhaps in a long time, God, that you would make today fresh. You would make today personal. 
And you would individualize your word, as you always do through your spirit, to each one of us. And no matter where we are in our walk and, frankly, our interest of you, we would all walk out changed. In the name of Jesus, we ask this. Amen. So we're in our last part of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we've given kind of some backdrop. So if this is your first week, actually, it's going to be good for you because this is kind of the whole kit and caboodle. You missed the whole series, so you're going to get to hear the end thing. If you ever want to, by the way, go back and listen to any of the stuff that we talked about. All of our, uh, our sermons are on iTunes. Search DCC Tally. We don't do Downtown Community Church that often. Downtown Community Church Tallahassee because you'd fall asleep halfway through writing all of those characters into it. Um, so DCC Tally, you can get caught up on the whole thing. But if, you, if you're not, let me kind of give you some background to what happens in the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' most famous and Jesus' most well-recorded sermon. In fact, when Jesus gave this, this is a little bit of a misconception. When Jesus gave this sermon, one of the misconceptions that I had growing up is that Jesus saw this massive crowd of people. And in seeing this massive crowd of people, thought, there's no way I can communicate to all these people at the same time. And so Jesus had a genius idea, because you know, he's Jesus. And he you know, went up on this mountain and in a very Jesus-projecting voice, you know, went up on this mountain and said, people listen. And everybody was just like, oh my gosh, you know. It's Jesus, holy cow. And, and he just kind of had this little Jesus-y voice. And, and not, I guess little Jesus-y voice is pretty belittling. But, you know, somehow he had this maybe booming, you know, bombastic Jesus voice. And everybody down the mountain for, you know, cities and counties could hear Jesus as he gave the sermon. But what's interesting is when you read it in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, it says Jesus saw this massive crowd. And Jesus would all, oftentimes have a massive crowd that was around him. And, and, and they came, all came for a variety of different reasons, frankly. Some of them came because they heard about Jesus. They heard he was a great teacher, and they just wanted to hear him teach. For many people, it was because they heard that everywhere this guy was, he fed people. And they were hungry, and so they wanted to go be around when the feeding happened. For some people, it was because they heard that everywhere he went, he healed people. And they were sick. They had something wrong with them. They had some kind of physical imperfection or some kind of imperfection, something going on, and they needed healing. And so they would go to him for healing. But for whatever the reason, there's, there's kind of a smaller group, a subgroup, that came they were around Jesus. And the reason they were around Jesus is because they believed that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah. Jesus was, in fact, the Son of the living God, that Jesus was the fulfillment of all of the prophets in the Old Testament who said someday, 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 there's going to come a Messiah sent from God. And they believe that Jesus was, in fact, the Son of God. And so Jesus, in Matthew chapter 5, sees this group of people that are there for all kinds of different reasons. And it says he sees them. And he goes back on the mountain. And he sits down. And his disciples come to him. And he began to teach his disciples, saying. Now, the importance of that and why that's absolutely critical this morning is because Jesus was giving this sermon specifically for his disciples. Jesus was giving this sermon specifically for the people who had belief and who had kind of transformative ideas that this guy, this Jesus of Nazareth, was in fact the Messiah. And they weren't just kind of religious people in general. They believed that he was the Savior. And so Jesus, with his closest people, began to teach them. And here's why that's, that's important. Because the thing that we're going to talk about is a temptation. The thing that we're going to talk about this morning is a temptation that's very specific to religious people. Which means, which means... If you're in here and you're kind of on the fence of Christianity, you're on the fence of religion, you're not really sure you know, where you are and what you believe and what you think, here's the good news, here's the good news. This is probably something that you've seen and that you've observed, 
but it isn't necessarily something that you have to ascribe to. It's something you can hear and you can see and you can, you're welcome to you know, implement if you want to. But specifically, as it relates to religious people, Jesus saw the landscape of what was going on in their religious day and said, for my disciples, for my disciples, I want to tell you some stuff. That there's some common religious ground around here. There's some common religious thought around here. But for my disciples, my disciples are going to be different. And in the, at the end of chapter 7, Jesus gives us three basic kind of ideas or pictures of, that, that contrast these two different ways. The three of them are, he says there's a wide gate and there's a narrow gate. I almost went with the middle finger. That would have been a, you know interesting, good thing we podcast it, not video cast it. He says there's a wide gate and there's a narrow gate. He, and then he, he talks and he says, there's good fruit and there's bad fruit. And then the last one he says is, there's two houses. There's two houses that are built. They probably look very similar to each other. He just describes them as houses. And one house is built on the rock and one house is built on the sand. And Jesus describes these two different ideas in these two different ways. Now, here's why this is important for religious people specifically. Oftentimes, when we hear that, our mind automatically jumps to what we have a presumption of what Jesus meant when he talked about one way versus another way. And oftentimes what our presumption is, what we project into the text, is that Jesus is talking about a moral way and an immoral way. A good way and a bad way. A blatantly obedient way and a blatantly disobedient way. A blatantly positive way and a blatantly evil way. We think Jesus is talking about, okay... So the narrow gate, the good fruit, the rock of the foundation, that's prayer, that's, you know, reading your Bible, that's religious activity, that's, you know, whatever you would think about of the positive things. And we're talking about the negative way, the negative way that leads to death. You're talking about disobedience, you're talking about, you know, whatever, whenever, do whatever you want, it doesn't matter. You know, I mean, we live in a college town, so, you know, a great example is football games. It's like, that's the only time that you can do whatever you want starting at 9 o'clock in the morning besides spring break. You know what I mean? It's like, bro, who cares? It's like, we've got to, it's a noon game day. We've got to get ready, you know. You wake up early to do things that you know Jesus doesn't want you to do. But anyways, you kind of have that whole thought process in life. And, and oftentimes when we think about this, we think about, okay, Jesus is talking about there's a good way and there's a bad way. There's a good way and there's a bad way. But here's what's interesting. Here's what we're going to read this morning. When Jesus said this, he talked about a good way and a bad way. And here's the interesting part. In all three of these, the good way and the bad way look remarkably similar to each other. The good way and the bad way look remarkably similar to each other. And in fact, as he's contrasting these two ideas, the incredible thing is that as you look back throughout the text, Jesus has a juxtaposition between these two things throughout the entire Sermon on the Mount. That the entire Sermon on the Mount, we have called the Sermon on the Mount, it should really be called something else. We're going to give it a different title, but it's just a bad title, so that's why they never titled this. But the thing that Jesus spoke about essentially was this. Not good versus bad. Religion versus Christianity. Religion versus Christianity. Religion versus what Jesus and what would become Christianity, which initially was just a movement of Jesus in the hearts of people. And here's what he would talk about. And you, again, you've read it if you've been with us. Matthew chapter 5. It said stuff like, Blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. In fact, blessed are those who are persecuted. <laughs> to which we would look and say, Jesus, I think we have a different definition of blessed. You know, I mean, people that are persecuted, that's like, that is the opposite of being blessed. 
And what's interesting is when Jesus said blessed, he didn't just be like, oh, you know, in some kind of a mysterious, oh, spiritual way that no one knows about or no one cares about because I'm suffering right now. When he said that, he said happy. Happy. Happy are the poor in spirit. Happy are the people who realize their their insignificance, who realize their spiritual insufficiency and their subsequent need for God. Jesus said those are the happy people. In fact, he would go on throughout chapter 5, and he would, he would just con- continually contrast this idea of this outward religion, which was common for their day, versus this inward transformative relationship with God. He says stuff like this. You've heard it said. You've heard it said. You've heard it said, don't lie. In fact, you've heard it said, don't murder. And everybody cannot murder. But here's what my followers are going to do. If you hate, if you hate your brother, you've considered, you can, you've, you've done murder in your heart. He'd say, hey, the religious perspective is don't commit adultery. The outer perspective is don't commit adultery. But I'm telling you, not for my followers. For my followers, for my people, for the inwardly transformed. It's not just don't commit adultery. It's if you look at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. In fact, for my followers, you've heard it said, you know, don't lie, don't lie, don't lie. For my people, I want you to know, you know, it's not about lying or not lying. I want you to say, don't even swear, don't even promise. I want your yes to be yes and your no to be no. I want your integrity to be so deep. I want your integrity to be so deep that the reality of your life is if you say yes, no one questions it. Jesus would say, come on, come on, come on. There's plenty of people, there's plenty of people who fill their lives with religious activity. But I've called my followers to something different. And those things look remarkably similar. Similar. For instance, in chapter 6, he starts off and he says, hey, don't, you know, don't let your righteous acts just be in public so other people see them. In fact, when you do what you do, here's the thing. We're all going to give. We're all going to give. If you're a religious person, you're probably going to give somewhere. But for my followers, the way I want you to give, I want you to be so secretive about it. I want you to be so sneaky about it. But I don't want your left hand to know what your right hand is doing. I don't want you, you know, the religious idea is that you give for show. But the Christian idea, the idea for the Jesus followers, is that they give and they help. Because they realize how much they've been given and how much they've been helped in their Savior. He continues on and says, so when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be like the hypocrites who pray on the corner of the street to be seen by everybody. In other words, we've talked about this before. Don't be like the people who go to Sonny's. You know, don't be like people who go to Sonny's and all of a sudden it's like, we're praying. You know, you're like telling the whole restaurant, shh. You know, you break out like your Ouija boards and your incense and your candles. You lace them, you know. If you don't lace them, you really have never prayed before. But you're lacing your fingers together, you know, and it's like fellows' hats. Like, again, like that creates some kind of a barrier. God's like, I couldn't hear your prayer because you have a hat on. Are you serious? You know, fellows' hats. Everybody, oh, Heavenly Father, you know, and everybody's looking like, oh, my gosh, they are spiritual. They're praying in sunnies right now. Wow, you know, holy cow, Four Rivers is like an evangelism, you know, campaign. Are you kidding? He says, no, come on. When you pray, when you pray, here's how I want you to pray. For my followers, for my followers, because come on, all the religious people do that. All the religious people do that. All the religious people, you mean you pray, you pray, you pray, and everybody knows that you're spiritual. But for my followers, I want you to go in your room. In fact, I want you to go in your closet and shut your door and pray to your father who is in heaven. And then, you know, 
I don't want you to be like everybody else because everybody else stores up treasures for themselves on earth where moths and rust destroy. But I want you, I want my followers to store up for themselves treasure in heaven. And then last week we talked about judging and how judging is just kind of inevitable, like you're going to judge at some point. And Jesus compares and contrasts these two ideas. He says, okay, so for my people, for my people, for my people, I want you to be able to help your brother. I want you to be able to restore your brother. You see, the difference between judging someone in a Christian sense and judging someone in in a religious sense is if I'm judging you in a religious sense, I'm looking down on you to make myself feel better. If I'm judging you as a Christian, I'm not judging you in a negative connotation. I am lovingly helping you be restored because I don't want to see you go through and you don't want to see me go through unnecessary suffering in life because Christians... Christians always choose the loving thing. And if I see my brother or if I see my sister who's about to go through some stuff because of some difficult decisions that they've made, I'm going to say something. Not because I hate them, but because I love them. And Jesus says, but before you say anything, before you say anything, I want you to look and I want you to see, is there a plank in your eye when you're looking at the speck in your brother's eye? In other words, perhaps, perhaps is it, the reason that you want to judge someone else so harshly is because you see something in their life that your heavenly father sees in your life. And before you have the right or the, uh, the ability to see clearly to take that out of their eye, I have to, have to, have to ask the question, God, is there something that I see in them that you see in me? Is there something that I need to take out of my eye before I can take it out of their eye? And so Jesus begins to wrap this sermon up by saying there's two ways. There's two ways. He says, enter by the narrow gate, verse 13. For the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For narrow is the gate, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Now, I love how he starts with this. Because, come on, he's saying this. Come on. There's tons of religious people out there. There's tons of people who have, you know, kind of a thought of religion. There's tons of people who have a thought, you know, whether it's, you know, kind of an affiliation with God, an affiliation with Jesus, an affiliation with another religion. Come on, come on. There's tons of tons and tons of religious people out there. There's tons of people who fill their lives with religious activity. And here's what's interesting. When I was young, when I was young, this was me. This was me. I would have described myself as a religious person. I would have described myself as a Christian. I had no relationship with God. But I was raised in America. And this, and this is, you know, for some of you, this is kind of comical. For some of you, this is you. I was raised in America. I went to church, and I wasn't Buddhist. So I'm like, by default, I'm Christian. You know what I mean? If this is like a multiple choice, okay, America, that's, you know, deductive. You know, okay, so, and then I go to church. Okay, so that, you know, that's a qualifier for sure because Christians go to church. Everybody knows that. And I'm not another religion, so I guess by default, that's my category, you know? I just kind of fall into that one. And so Jesus says, come on, come on. Why? I mean, come on. Religious people, I mean, there's tons of them. It's not like it's a needle in a haystack with religious people. It's not like it's hay in a needle stack. I mean, come on. They're everywhere. You will find religious people everywhere. He says, but what I'm talking about is different. What I'm talking about is distinctly different. I'm not talking about this wide gate. I'm talking about this narrow gate. He says, so beware the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. He says, are grapes gathered with thorn bustles, bushes, or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the desired tree bears bad fruit. 
Diseased tree, not desired, I'm sorry. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Now, when Jesus said this, when Jesus said this, this is huge. He was talking about some stuff that was going to happen. That at some point there was going to be some false teachers that came in and said some stuff. And what we would find out through history, and what we find out you know, specifically through the letters of Paul and through the New Testament, is there were teachers that would come in, and their message would be essentially this. Jesus is good. Jesus plus morality is what you need. Jesus is good. Jesus plus X behavior. Jesus plus Y morality. Jesus plus whatever is what you actually need to be in God's good graces. Because let's, well, let's be honest. God wants you to be a good person. God wants you to be a good person. So if you're going to find yourself in God's good graces... If you're going to find yourself in God's good graces, then you, yeah, Jesus is good, but also have this type of behavior, this type of morality. And Jesus would say, whoa, 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 whoa. In fact, Paul, throughout the New Testament, was constantly crying and saying, whoa, 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 whoa. That Jesus, when he becomes your Lord, when he becomes your Savior, does have a transformative being about you. He does change your life. As the gospel takes root in your life, you become a changed person. But that was never the prereq for a relationship with me. And there's going to be some, she- some, some, some wolves that come in and say this. That come in and act like this and become a behave this. And here's, here's kind of the interesting thing. The wolves are wearing sheep clothing, sheep's clothing, and so the wolves look very, very similar. And that might sound weird. To say that, because I don't know that I've ever had a person, I'm like, dude, that guy is a sheep in wolf's clothing, you know, or a wolf in sheep's clothing. Sheep in wolf's clothing would be really interesting. I don't know how that one would work out biblically. But here's the reality. How many of us, how many of us have believed it? How many of us believe that our religious activity gets us in God's good graces? How many of you feel like God's upset with you when you don't go to church for three weeks in a row? How many of you feel like God's upset with you when you don't pray? How many of you feel like God's upset with you when you don't read your Bible? How many of you feel like God is mad at you and God is angry with you and God hates you if you do that sin that you've told God that you're never going to do again and you did it again? And you feel like God and you are not what you used to be and not where you used to be. Here's what that says. You think your behavior is what got you into God's good graces. When the gospel is that there's nothing that I can do to earn my way or to deserve my way into God's good graces. That what gets me in God's good graces is simple. It's one, the realization that I can't. It's one, the realization that I'm not good enough. And that God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for me. And in dying on the cross for me, he wiped away all my sin, gave me ultimate forgiveness. And the belief is, the belief is, come on, you got to get this. The belief is, is that when I come to that conclusion, when I accept Jesus as my Lord and as my Savior, my heart of flesh or my heart of stone becomes a heart of flesh. That there is a regeneration that happens. In fact, Jesus was explaining this guy, this to a guy named Lazarus at one point. And as he's talking about, or Nicodemus, I'm sorry, and Nicodemus who came at nighttime, which is where they got the show Nick at Night from. It's not, it's not really, but church joke. Anyways. 
Thanks for laughing. I appreciate that. I had that one. I'm like, ah, should I? So I did. Um, so anyway, so Nicodemus comes to it at nighttime, and he's talking to Nicodemus, and Nicodemus says, well, Jesus, how do I accept you? you know, how do I get eternal life? And he says, you've got to be born again. And he's sitting there saying, ah, you know, I don't know if you know anatomically how this works, Jesus, but that's a little bit weird. Like, so you saying, uh, Jesus, I know you, you talk about some crazy stuff sometimes, but are you saying that I've got to be back in my mother's womb? Like, that seems weird. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You're talking about a physical birth. I'm talking about a spiritual rebirth. What we believe happens is when you go from Jesus being a category to Jesus being personal, Jesus being a basic belief, Jesus being a religious idea, to Jesus being your Lord and Savior. Your heart of stone turns to a heart of flesh. That you are in fact reborn in the Spirit of God now lives inside of you. And Jesus would say, that is very, 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 very different. But on the outside, it can look very similar. And this next verse, Jesus says to me, just to be frank, Jesus says to me what I think are some of the most terrifying and compelling verses in Scripture. This, this, is, this is one of the verses that when I was deciding to become a Christian was huge for me. Was transformed. I mean, since I was in ninth or tenth grade when I first got saved, these are verses that has motivated me to do the ministry, and frankly, is part of the reason why we have a church today. And he says this. He says, "Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven." Not everybody, he says. On that day, when you die, when judgment happens, when all that stuff happens, he says, on that day, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, God, God, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father. What's the will of my Father? The will of my Father is to believe in the one whom he sent. It's to first and foremost believe in Jesus, have that transformation that happens, and then have it lived out in the way that Jesus describes, where it's all about the internal making its way to the external, not just simply an external facade of God. He says, so here's the deal. On that day, and this is, I wish I could put as much emphasis and weight as this has carried in my life. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, or I will say to them plainly, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Because I'm going to tell him plainly, away from me, because I never knew you. Now, here's, here's why this is huge. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying on that day, on judgment, when all, when, when all of us come and see God face to face, he says, there's going to be plenty of people who look at me and say, God, didn't you see me? I mean, come on. I attended church. Didn't you see me? Come on. I went to community. God, didn't you see me? Come on. I prayed at Sonny's. God, come on. Didn't you see me? I, you know, I went to, you know, we, gosh, God, we serve people. In fact, we serve people so much. We paid to go serve people. You know, we called it a mission trip. And, you know, there's a little cool, like, little surf trip on the back end of that thing. But still, you know, we went, and we went, you know, we went across seas, and we fed people, and we built for people, and we served people, and we VBS. I mean, come on, God. We did all this stuff. And Jesus is going to say, man, that's phenomenal. But I never knew you. And you never knew me. You knew about me. You'd heard of me. 
You've been around me perhaps your entire life. But you never knew me, and I never knew you. And here's the thing. Churches, religion is filled with people who know about God, who do things around God. But God is not calling the church to be a group of people filled with religious activity. He's calling the church to be a group of people who know him personally. And there is a huge difference between the two. To think, to think that I can attend my way, serve my way, and, and, and community group my way into God's good graces is to think that I can behave my way into God's good graces. And the moment I think I can behave my way into God's good graces, it completely drains the cross of all of its power. Because the cross of Jesus is where God declared, you can't, but I can, and I will, and I will go first to prove to you that I love you. And I don't want this just to be something that's just a general transactional sense. I want this to be personal. I want to invite you into a relationship where you don't just know about me, but you know me. Where it's not just religious activity, but there's relationship. Where I've invited you to be my sons and my daughters, and I've invited you, even though I'm God and I'm holy, and it's hard for you to grasp and conceptualize how tremendously big I am. I still want you to call me your heavenly Father. He says, on that day, There's going to be plenty of people who missed it. And they missed it under the guise of religious activity. So he finishes by giving this story. So everyone then who hears these words and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a foolish man. Or everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, and the wind blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Now, now you've got to hear this. Here's what's what's just just so fascinating about this. These houses, these houses, the way he describes them, he just says they're houses. So you could kind of guess or you could assume or you could maybe think that maybe these houses look very similar to each other. At the same time, these houses are probably in the same neighborhood because they both felt the wind, they both felt the rain, they both felt the, you know, the flood of the rushing water. But Jesus looks at them and says, hey, hey, these two things, and this is, this is just absolutely for me as a pastor, terrifying. He says, there's these two things that look remarkably similar, similar that you and I can look at each other on the outside and say they are the exact same thing. But the problem is, I don't know what's in your foundation. You don't know what's in my foundation. That's between me and God, and that's between you and God. And God's saying, there's these two things that look incredibly similar, but one is poison and leads to death, and one is life. One is exterior and religious activity. One is interior and it's personal. One is work, 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 be, 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 do, do, do. And the other one is no. No. Know that you're not, know that he is. 
and know him personally. The interesting thing is Jesus doesn't even end the sermon really well. He just says, how great is that fall? And that's the end. And here's, here, here's the thought. When Jesus said this, he was talking to a bunch of religious people, similar to maybe many of you and me. He was talking to a bunch of religious people that he knew were going to have a temptation at some point. To substantiate their relationship with God based on their religious activity. He says, not with my followers. I want to know you. And I want you to know me. You see, when I was growing up, again, I would have called myself a religious person. I would have called myself a Christian. Because I went to church. I went to FCA when I was growing up. I, in fact, I went to youth group every once in a while and they had a bunch of pizza and they had some crazy games that they were playing and you're like 13 and you're like, that sounds amazing, you know. In fact, I, it's funny, I remember one day my grandma was driving me home. I remember talking to my grandma and I was like, and she, we were talking about church and, you know, she's a sweet old lady. In fact, sometimes she was not very sweet. She was very hard and direct. But anyways, different sermon for a different day in therapy sessions. So... <laughs> She was wonderful. Anyways, thanks, God. Um, so I was sitting there. I was talking to my grandma on the way home. And I remember talking to her, and we were talking about church, and we were talking about God and all this kind of stuff. Now, granted, I was living nothing like a Christian. Didn't know Jesus personally from a hole in the wall. But I remember talking to her and saying, Grams, man, you don't, you don't get it. I, man, I am a, like, I'm, I'm good spiritually. Like, I go to church. In fact, I go to church, and I go to youth group, and I go to FCA. Like, I don't even have to go to FCA. I just go because I'm, I'm, I'm a church kid. Come on, Grams. Like, I am a spiritual person. Like, I remember thinking, I've got it made in the shade when it comes to God. I am a Christian. And the reality is, I did not know God from a hole in the wall because I had plenty of religious activity, but I did not know Jesus personally. I had never come to the point where, as a mature person, I came to the conclusion that I wanted a relationship with Jesus. And not only I wanted a relationship with Jesus, but that I accepted. I believed in the idea. I believed in the fact. I believed in the reality that there is no way that I can earn myself into God's good graces. And I can religious myself. I can religious behavior myself. I can do all the things that I want to do to try to earn my way into God's good graces. But there is no earthly way that I can good myself into God's good graces. And that Jesus came and died on the cross to wipe all of my sins away, to wipe all of my past away, to wipe all of my history away, all of my present away, and frankly, all of the future dumb decisions that I would make to say, I love you regardless, and don't you dare think that you can earn your way into my love. That it's simply by acknowledging, it's simply by placing your faith, your hope, and your trust in that. And come on, how many of us, how many of us think we're in God's good graces right now because you attend church? How many of us think we're in God's good graces right now because you showed up? Because you pray maybe from time to time. You got a Bible on your nightstand. I mean, come on. We're in the South. If you don't have a Bible on your nightstand, who are you, you know? We think we're religious people maybe because we go to a community. Maybe because you went and you served and you helped. But come on, come on. Jesus is looking. Jesus is looking at this church, and he would look into the future and say, man, on that day, so many people are going to look at me and say, 
Lord, Lord, we did all of this stuff. He's going to say, no, 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 no. It's not about doing. It's not about doing. It's not about doing. It's about knowing me personally. Because when you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and the Holy Spirit takes residence in your heart, what's external and what's religious all of a sudden falls down because you now have what's personal and what's intimate. Perhaps, I don't know, well, we'll start by saying this. I don't know, frankly, most of you on that level. I don't know what home you were raised in. I don't know what background you have. For a lot of you, I don't even know where you're from. But I know this. The fact that you're in here makes you at least somewhat of a religiously interested person. I know that for all religiously interested people, we face the same temptation. Which is to believe that our religious activity will substantiate us and validate us and give us salvation in the eyes of God. Perhaps, perhaps you've walked in church a thousand times before. But you've never come to a decision to make Jesus personal in your life. Perhaps you've walked into a church a hundred times before. And you were in the handbell choir growing up. And you were in the youth choir growing up. Which, you know, if that's you, we pray for you. Perhaps you were, you know, in, in, in you know, FCA. You were in Crusade maybe now as a college student. You, maybe you're in Doulos, Doulos. Maybe you graduated and you were a leader. And you come back and you were a community group leader. You know, whatever you are. Maybe you have tons of religious activity as you look across your religious portfolio. But the reality is, you don't know God. You don't know Jesus. You know of him, and you know about him. But you don't know him. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. We're going to pray. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond. We're going to pray, and then I'm going to give you an opportunity that if you want God to go from a category of religion to a relationship, if you want to place your faith and your hope in the finished work that Jesus died on the cross and offered ultimate forgiveness, ultimate love, ultimate acceptance, then here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray. I'm going to count to three in the middle of the prayer. You'll, you know, you'll see it coming. And when I hit three, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. And here's why. Here's why we do it. And here's why we do this oftentimes. One, because everybody who Jesus called, you know, Jesus called publicly. And this is only like semi-publicly. So most people are going to have their head bowed. There's going to be a few peekers, but that's, you know, inevitable. We get it. And here's, here, here's the reality. Here's the reality. Part of it is that we want to be able to pray for you. We want to know who we're praying for. We want to be able to pray for you as you take this step of faith, as you take the first couple steps of faith in terms of your walk with God and your relationship with God. And frankly, 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 here's the honest to God truth. Every person who came to the realization that Jesus was the Son of God, that he was the Messiah in the New Testament, would go tell everybody. In fact, you know, read it for yourself. In the New Testament, Jesus would come and he'd talk to people, and they'd be like, oh my gosh, you're the Messiah. And Jesus would say, okay, that's true. Shut up. Don't tell anybody. Right? And they'd be like, oh, 
guys, you will not believe me. They just go and they tell everybody. You just be like, shh, 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 shh. Don't tell anybody. And he would constantly get in trouble because they'd be like, Pharisees, you guys got to come see him. They're like, we heard of him. We want to kill him. But just be like, shut up. Don't tell anybody. But throughout the New Testament, throughout the New Testament, and frankly, beyond the New Testament, every single person, every single person who realizes that they have ultimate acceptance, ultimate forgiveness, that they no longer have to try to validate and substantiate their way into God's good graces based on their behavior, that no matter what they are, no matter who they are, no matter where they're from, no matter what they've done, that God has forgiven you. You and you have salvation beyond that transactional sense you now have a relationship with God where the God of the universe has invited you to call him your heavenly father and he will call you your son and his, or his son and his daughter and that you realize that you get that there is no hand raised in history that's going to keep you from that there is no nothing I can do if I said you know you got to take off your shoes throw your shirt up and you know Stanky leg all the way up. You would do it. You know, that, that was, so I don't know where I got that from. So let's just edit that part out of the podcast. But, you know, regardless of what happens, you would jump I mean, you come on, you would go nuts. You'd go nuts because you, 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 you get God, which is the ultimate. And I just want to end by saying this. Do not, do not, do not let the confusion of religion rob you of a relationship with God. Do not let the religious activity of religion rob you of eternity with your Father who is in heaven. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, I pray for anybody and for everybody in this room who would look at their life, maybe this is their first time, maybe this is their tenth time, maybe this is their hundredth or thousandth time that they've walked in a church building. Perhaps they've filled their life with religious activity, thinking if I can show up enough, and if I can serve enough, and if I can community group enough, then God, you're going to be happy with me. Maybe they've gone to church their entire life, but never came to a mature decision to make you their personal Lord and Savior, to accept the sacrifice that was made on the cross. God, I pray that for all of us, we cannot miss out on an eternal relationship because we thought what substantiated us was a temporal religion. So if that's you, and you're in here, if that's you, and the reality of your life is you have never accepted the sacrifice that was made for you. You've never come to the conclusion and the decision that you want to go from this external religion to this internal personal relationship. That you don't want to behave your way into God's graces, good graces. You don't want to moral your way into God's good graces. But you want to accept the sacrifice that was made for you when Jesus, was died, on, when Jesus died on the cross. And frankly, you want to spend your life pursuing him. Because if God would do that for you, what wouldn't you do for him? And today... What maybe has been religious activity for years, you want to make a relationship with him. I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond. To simply say, 
that Jesus, I want a relationship with you. Jesus, I want eternity with you. Jesus, I don't want to miss you because I've been so involved in thinking that religious activity was to earn my way to you. And today, as a mature adult, you want to make a decision to make Jesus your Lord and Savior. On the count of three, I want you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Very cool. Very cool. All right, you can put them down. If that was you and you just raised your hand, I want you to pray this with me. Know that it's, it has honestly nothing to do about this, with this prayer, but this just acknowledges what's happening in your heart right now. Where you say, Jesus, be my Lord, be my Savior. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for conquering death when you rose from the dead. I place my faith, my hope, and my trust in you. So be my Lord, be my Savior. I give you my life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, thank you guys so much. We want to say, uh, if that's you and you just raise your hand, one, we are beyond excited for you. In fact, we're all just going to celebrate for a second, so if we could... (laughs) 